All right, welcome back to the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. I am Ernesto Sanchez, and I'm here with John Downing and Marty Griffin, and we're here to give you a quick roundup of this week in sports. Gentlemen, how are we doing this week? I'm not in a great mood. I am actually kind of upset, a little bit pissed off, and... Ooh, this thing, is not going to be a good show. No, the only <laughs> thing that's given me a little comic relief is Rob Manfred from last night slurring his words when he was giving out the trophies at the end of the World Series. I found a lot of joy in that today. But I'm just saying because I'm in a shitty mood as well. So <laughs> I want to congratulate the Dodgers. Uh, uh, uh. Nice hat you got there, Johnny. Dude, the, the lead headline today on CBS is Manchester United. Like, we're talking soccer right now. Even, like, football is not relevant until it heats up again. We're in a shitty time in sports right now. We have some sports. I had a good week. Oh, no, you have something to be excited about. I'm a Cowboys fan, so fuck that. <laughs> Life is over. Oh, my God, yeah. It's done. Hey, maybe you guys can pick up the Hodges. Dude, Andy Dalton got his <laughs> bell rung. We're not going to talk much about the Dallas Cowboys because it's going to, like, blow over that score. But, like, Andy Dalton, that helmet went, like, 16 yards after the contact. He lost his head. Not, not a single one of his teammates stuck up for him, too. I've Who never gives seen a anything shit? Like it. Yeah, yeah redhead. still. Red, yeah, I know, but this is how disjointed this fucking franchise is right now. It's fucking gross and a joke. All right, all right, well. We're off to a good start. <laughs> Positivity. Well, let's get right into it. It is our 59th episode, so we're going to talk about our number 59s. Marty, you want to kick us off here? Well, you know, fuck 59, fuck COVID, fuck 2020. I just, like, looked up the first thing I saw on 59. It's a guy called Jack Ham. Who the fuck Ooh. is Jack Ham? I know who Jack Ham is. But... I know you do. I, I, after a little bit more investigating, uh, actually a really good player. <laughs> uh, Don the uh, Steelers uniform, uh, 12 seasons, 32 interceptions, seven All-Pro selections, 21 fumble recoveries, eight Pro Bowls, a uh, hell of a linebacker during the 70s. And I know him too. I'm just fucking trying to be silly and pissed off. But as a Cowboys fan, I remember much about Jack Ham. From my uncles growing up about how this guy terrorized the Cowboys come the playoffs and stuff. So keep it short and keep it quick. Jack Ham, my number 59. All righty. I'm going to do one of... Fuck the Cowboys. Okay. Do one of my... <laughs> We're not going gonna... to edit that one out. I'm sorry. I'm being rude. Go on. I'm going to do one of my favorite hockey players. Newer uh, member of the Pittsburgh Penguins modern dynasty... Jake and Bake Gensel, born October 6, 1994. Uh, he was drafted by the Penguins in the third round, uh, 77th overall in 2013. And he is a Stanley Cup champion. This young man is an offensive force. Uh, he is Sidney Crosby's left wing. And uh, he is just a talented hockey player. Uh, he's fast. Great hands, has a nose for the net. He is the son of a hockey coach. Uh, so he comes in with that kind of mentality. You know, he, he is a student of the game. Uh, he sees the, the game at the same speed as Sidney Crosby does, which, of course, he loves. 
you know, he made a big splash in his first game with the Penguins, uh, scored four goals. And on, you know, all the Penguins highlight reel stuff that you see, there's this awesome uh, video of his brother who, who's actually, it, it's weird. It's like they, they share the same face uh, just on different bodies. Um, but his brother is losing his goddamn mind, um, you know, watching uh, his little brother score four goals in his debut in the show. So, of course, in his rookie year, uh, Gensel was able to be a huge contributing factor in that Stanley Cup win as part of the Sid and the Kids line with my other boy, Connor Sherry. And, uh, yeah, he's had some he's had some injury trouble. He was out for most of the 2019-2020 season, which was a real shame because he was on a huge tear and I think was about to have a career year and a marquee year following up his 40-goal season in 2018-2019. But, you know, the Penguins kind of fizzled out in their four games post-COVID. So... Say la vie, but excited to see what we're going to have uh, coming from this kid going forward. But in his young professional career, he has 243 games played, 98 goals, 102 assists for 200 points. My 59, Jake Gensel. Johnny? Okay, my number 59 this week is Luke Keekley. He was a football middle linebacker, played all eight seasons of his career with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, he's drafted by the Panthers ninth overall in the 2012 draft out of Boston College, where he was a two-time All-American. He is from Cincinnati, Ohio, originally, six foot three, 238 pounds. He was a seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro, NFL Defensive Player of the Year in 2013, uh, won a, the Butkus Award for Best Linebacker three times. He was the Defensive Rookie of the Year in his first year along with numerous other awards. Um, for a couple of years there, I used to go down to see Panthers games. And one year, uh, the play that will be most memorable for me for Luke Keekley was when the Patriots played at the Panthers. I think it was 20, <clears throat> I want to say 2013 on a Monday night. And at the end of the game, Brady was throwing a Gronkowski in the end zone. And Keekley was all over him, mauling Gronkowski. And it was clear pass interference. And that was as the time clicked down, ticked down to zero, the ref should have thrown a flag and the Patriots would have had a free play at the one to, to win the game. But the ref didn't throw the flag. And of course that pissed Brady off and Brady went after the ref afterwards. Like, how can you not call that? So that's my most memorable Luke Keekley play, but he was just a terrific. <laughs> He's a stud. Yes. Luke Keekley will be a future hall of famer. He did retire early after only eight seasons because he had dealt with concussion issues in his career. So he's retired at the age of 29. And like I said, he'll be a future hall of famer, excellent player. The Panthers defense sorely misses him. Uh, that's my number 59, Luke Keekley. Easy to, easy to point out. He's a very educated man who's invested his money. Well, too, if you follow his story, like he, he's going to be fine in life past, past football. Good yeah, for him, just, too, for knowing known when to pack it in and, and save your, your mind and your body for your kids. Absolutely. And in this time of the concussions in the league, I think he made the right decision for sure. Okay. Uh, let's get right into our World Series 
champion for 2020. The what do we want to call this? The COVID World Series, the the COVID Championship, whatever, whatever it is. There is a major asterisk on this year. Uh, 60 games is not a season of baseball. And well, most- I disagree because the Dodgers were the favorite going in. And they so only lost one series all year long, and they, they had expanded playoffs this year. So there were more playoff teams than there ever has been before. And the Dodgers went through the entire field and it, on their way to the World Series. I think they had a harder time in the playoffs than they usually would have. So I, I, they've been to the World Series. They make the playoffs every year. They've won the division eight years in a row. I, I would say if a fluky team like, I don't know, the Blue Jays won the World Series or somebody like that, I would say asterisk. But for the Dodgers to win, there's no asterisk. They're so you're making this- and 20, No, 43 and 17 this year. So you're making the same argument as a lot of people made for the Tampa Bay Lightning winning the Stanley Cup this year that they were supposed to win. So ergo, there's no asterisk because what was supposed to happen did happen. Yeah, exactly. Is that is that the same scenario for the Lakers win as well, John, in your mind? Yeah, no asterisk. No, no asterisk right there going into no, that? And they, they would have had home court advantage. So they would, they would have been in even bigger blowouts. You know what I mean? It would have been even worse than it was, I, I think, if they had home court advantage. I mean, every team felt the same way. I just think Toronto have not, not having their home crowd, their home. That played huge, huge in the East with them. But Oh, the Celtics a, wouldn't have gotten this far, that's for sure. Oh, for sure, absolutely. So I'm, I'm they, just wondering. Neither would the Heat. Neither True. would the Heat, absolutely. True. They would have lost the Bucks in the second round. True. Absolutely. Do uh, we want to talk about the last two games or the last three games? Uh, that game she- last night was absolute bullshit, guys. I mean, how do you pull – I know that the nerds have taken over baseball and it's a new game, but how do you pull Blake Snell when he was dealing? He was in full Snellzilla mode last night, wheeling yeah. and dealing. He got – so after – he they pulled him after five and a third innings. He had only thrown 73 pitches. Only two balls were hit past the infield. He had nine strikeouts to the first 18 hitters. And one guy gets a hit of the nine-hitter, Austin Barnes, in the sixth inning. And Kevin Cash, the Rays manager, comes out and pulls him. And the next three guys up, the third time through the batting order, were, were Betts, he all struck out. He Hager, all struck out. and Turner. They were 0 for 6 with yes. six strikeouts against Blake Snell. And Cash pulled him for Nick Anderson, who had allowed an inherited runner to score in six straight games. Granted, he was great during the regular season, but he had been trash in the playoffs. And I don't know what world we're living in now, where the what your eyes are telling you watching the game are not be uh, to be believed or trusted. And all you're doing is going from analytics and what the what the um, three ring binder tells you to do. I think it's insanity that Blake Snell was pulled. If any anybody who was watching that game knows how well he was pitching and how difficult he was making life yes. with Dodgers hitters. And by pulling them, I think it just – it had it, obviously, the Dodgers were doing cartwheels when they pulled them. Because immediately, immediately after, Mookie Betts came up and hit a double. And I know that the Rays are, are analytic-driven and the entire baseball is analytic-driven and they're run by all these nerds who graduated from Yale and never played baseball for a, a second in their life. So all, all they do is know that their math and their analytics – and that's what runs baseball now. And I know that. But you have to have some sort of feel for the game. You have to be able to watch the game in their own eyes and be able to assess what's happening based on what's happening in front of you. And 
I don't know anybody that was watching the game last night and said, oh, yeah, after Blake Snell's done with two times through the batting order, he should be pulled. He could have been throwing a perfect game last night, and they still would have pulled him because Kevin Cash defended his decision after the game, saying, I thought it was the right process, which is insane. He could have struck out the first 18 guys he had faced the first two times through the batting order, and he still was going to pull him at that point. And that's absolutely insane in my mind because he was Johnny. Johnny, this was the Pete Carroll and the Beast discussion of football of why he pulls Snell right here. You go to a pass when you don't run it to run it to the Beast, the Seahawks in with the Patriots right here. This is a big game right here. And you just played off what, a field? Like, I mean, this is game no, six. No, it was it, analytics. They went know, off but, analytics, but, not a field. But, but doesn't that go out the door in a game six right there? Do you not just wave it and ride your ace all the way to the end? It's just crazy. I, no, I'm, I mean, I mean, and believe me, I'm on your side in what you're saying. It's just like I don't understand what the fuck they were thinking whatsoever. It is absolutely crazy. It is the new way that baseball is played in 2020 and going forward. It is just the the manager doesn't even have a say. So you know, we're all going to blame Kevin Cash, which is which you know, in a way, is right because he's the guy who's supposed to be the fall guy. But in all honesty. The decision wasn't even Kevin Cash's. It, it was a decision that came from above. From It's an organizational decision, and all organizations do this. It's not just something that the Rays would have done. The Dodgers were doing the same thing all series, pulling Kershaw early, pulling Walker Bueller early when he was wow. dealing. Yeah. So it, the same thing was happening on the other side, and I just think so. I don't think it's strictly a Tampa Bay Rays problem. They're just the ones to really expose it the most last night. I think it's a system-wide, systemic problem in baseball where these nerds who have never played baseball a day in their life are now making these decisions based on I don't know what. The analytics help during the regular season. They do because the numbers all average out and balance out, and they give you an edge over the course of the regular season. But when it comes to the playoff games – each game is different in itself, and you have to have a feel for it. You can't just go yeah. off of what well, the book tells you like you do in the regular season. You have to adapt, and the lack of adaptation by these teams is what's costing them. We saw this in 2018 when Dave Roberts pulled Rich Hill in the World Series against the Red Sox. Yes. Same exact decision. The pitcher's dealing. You let him continue throwing. They knew yeah. they were pulling him. The, the yeah. next hit he gave up, yeah. he was getting pulled. No, yeah. it did not even the next hit. It was the third. It's the third time through the batting order. That's what it is. They don't want their pitch starting pitcher facing the third time through the batting order, no matter what. Like I said, he could have been throwing a perfect game. He could have struck out 18 of the first 18 hitters and not allowed a hit. He was coming out because the analytics say don't let your starting pitcher face the lineup the third time. It's the third time through. Third time through, you pull the pitcher, and that's it. Bottom line, and that's ridiculous. I think that's in the third inning. (laughs) Blown the fuck up. Uh, I guess you pull him for other reasons at that point. Yeah. So I guess in the next thing I want to get into is, is Mookie Betts winning the world series and having, having a crucial role. He had been kind of less than special in his past playoff performances, but this year he was one of the driving forces. Obviously Corey Seager was the, 
World Series MVP and NLCS MVP, but Mookie Betts was definitely a leader for the Dodgers in bringing them to the World Series. And I just want to say, and I did say to the Red Sox, I tweeted to the Red Sox, I said, hey, Red Sox, how does it taste having Mookie Betts win a World Series in not your uniform, in another uniform? How does that feel, Red Sox? And then I said to the Patriots, guess what? You're next, motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) These teams made horrible decisions, letting Mookie Betts and Tom Brady go at the beginning of this year. And I I have never been more mad about it than I am yesterday and today. It is really, really burning me up inside. And I could never imagine a scenario in my life growing up where I didn't think that I would root for the Patriots or root for the Red Sox. But it's come to that, and it's the way that they let Mookie Betts and the way that they let Tom Brady walk out that door, generational players who should never play for a second team. And now they're, they're both teams, the Red Sox and the Patriots, are getting exactly what is due to them. All right. Well, this this sounds like the, uh, the mood is just right and ready uh, for our fraud of the week. Take us away. Okay. So let's go right into it. Uh, this week's fraud of the week it was gonna be I, I i thought about maybe going you know with baseball and analytics but i was stuck on sunday and the new england patriots and bill belichick being this week's fraud of the week so for me Ooh. it's bill belichick and the way that they lost to that's the Sam- lay back and get some oil you're oh, gonna yeah. have a good time right no, here. I'm gonna start pleasuring myself immediately. <laughs> For me, it's the arrogance but with Bill, the way Bill Belichick runs the Patriots organization. And the way that he treated Tom Brady or didn't t- treat Tom Brady over the years. And I go back to a book, a Patriots book that was released by Ian O'Connor two years ago. And in it, there was a direct quote from a high-ranking member of the Patriots organization that stated, we don't think Tom is as special as everybody else does. We think that we could get it done with 15 of the other best quarterbacks in the league. Okay, so that tells you right there that the Patriots never thought of Tom Brady the way everyone else thinks of Tom Brady. And they didn't value him that way because they never paid him that way. They never paid Tom Brady what Tom Brady should have been paid. Everybody knew this over the years. Everyone knew it, and Tom Brady just took it. He took less to stay with the team because he's a good person, and that's, you know, he wanted to remain loyal to the team. And all those years, he remained loyal. And towards the end, he kept saying, he said it time and time and time again. Brady would say, I want to play until I'm 45 years old. I want to play until I'm 45 years old. He never didn't say that he didn't want to play until he's 45 years old. He was strong on that stance, and he never, ever wavered from that, okay? But the Patriots insisted on going year to year on his contracts in the last couple of years, underpaying him, giving him, him incentive-laden deals, and making him try to reach these ridiculous incentives that he was never going to get, basically a slap in the face to the greatest quarterback of all time. And so they pissed him off, they pissed him off, they pissed him off, And then all he wanted at the end was a little respect and not to be treated like like Johnny Foxborough, like just so some Joe average fucking quarterback down the street. He just wanted a little bit more respect from the Patriots. And Belichick couldn't even bring himself to do that. And now we know the reason why. The reason why is because Bill Belichick is so fucking arrogant that he thinks every single player in the NFL is exactly the same. 
He thinks under his coaching that he can do with – he thinks – he probably thinks that he can get the three of us to play football for him. <laughs> and coach him. That's how arrogant he is. And he's so arrogant that they didn't even have a quarterback plan when they let Brady walk out the door. So they let Tom Brady walk out the door this year knowing that Jared Stidham probably wasn't ready, even though they, they lied to us and told us that he would be, but he wasn't. And with all the quarterbacks that were available in the beginning of this free agent offseason before last year, there were so many quarterbacks. Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, the list goes on and on and on, Tom Brady. But the Patriots just said, you know what, we're going to take the cheapest one, whoever doesn't get signed. And that just happened to be Cam Newton in June. In June, they signed Cam Newton. The Patriots have spent a total of $3 million on their quarterbacks, Brian Hoyer, Jared Stidham, and Cam Newton. And guess what? Now it's 2020, and through week seven, the Patriots have the lowest quarterback rating in the NFL tied with the Jets because they've spent $2.7 million on their quarterback's room. You spend that little on your quarterback room, guess what you get? You get the, the bottom of the barrel, and that's what you're getting, the bottom of the barrel performance. Cam Newton, he stinks. And the rest of your team, how about those drafts? The 2019 draft, the 2018 draft, Sony Michelle, Nikhil Harry, the list goes on and on and on. All these times that you traded down because you thought you could maneuver the draft board and outsmart people and just coach these players up. But it turns out that all throughout those 20 years when Tom Brady was there, it was Tom Brady who was covering up for the flaws of Belichick and all the mistakes that he was making over the years. Belichick could make those mistakes because Tom Brady would cover up for him. Last year, the Patriots went 12-4 and with basically the same team that they have this year. Tom Brady covered up all those mistakes that, that Bill Belichick was making. And Belichick couldn't even take himself to appreciate that. He just could still be a dick to Brady and then let him walk out the door because he's so fucking arrogant. So the last time that the Patriots were 2-4 and four was the year 2000. And now they are again 2-4 and four in the year 2020. The only thing that those two years have in common is that now is the first year that they don't have Tom Brady. The year 2000, the last time they went 2-4, and four, was the last time they didn't have Tom Brady. I, I'm sorry. I, I think Bill Belichick deserves this harsh criticism, and I'm going to give it to him. People may want to give him the benefit of the doubt and let it play out, but no, I'm not going to because Tom Brady is making Tampa Bay – who is the losingest franchise in the, in the history of the NFL, the history of sports. The Buccaneers are the losingest franchise in the history of sports. They are five and two. They look like Super Bowl contenders. He looks like an MVP candidate. And the Patriots, the almighty Patriots, are two and four and look like a pile of dog shit getting stomped at home by a hapless 49ers team who's injured all over the place. Patriots, you're getting what you deserve. Belichick, you're getting what you deserve. And hence, you are this week's fraud of the week. Johnny, you were asking for them to go 10-0 the next way forward here. Hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'll stick my neck out there. I just – I got to call it the way I see it. You know, we have a show to do. So I, I can only go on what I just saw and what I know, right? I love it. I love it. Okay. Well uh... – Wow. That's great. That's great. <laughs> I was mute. I had to stay muted because I was laughing so hard in so many different parts. <laughs> Because it just pleases my soul, somebody who's not been a Patriot fan, to hear somebody talk that way about the Patriots. Like, your time has been, is done. You've been sitting on your high horse for so fucking long. Now that, in my mind, the truest fan I've ever seen in my life 
being Johnny to the Patriots to talk that way and call him out. I'm not laughing at what they're going through. I'm laughing at the aspect of just how much the media pumps these guys up so much and Belichick being that one to kind of get away with what he's done for so long. And now he's got to be accounted for. He's got to stand in front of that. And he needs to start, he needs to start talking. He needs to take accountability to this. He can't give the same, like, one-line statements that are so oblivious, like leaves you scratching your head. Like, he's got to start talking as a head coach. Tom Brady is doing everything that he can to prove Bill Belichick and the Patriots wrong for letting him go. They're getting you know they're bringing in Antonio fucking Brown during COVID. Brady is doing whatever he can to prove that Belichick and the Patriots are wrong. Uh, the Patriots and Belichick, what are they doing? They're just losing. Nothing. Nothing. All right, let's let's talk a little bit. That's the other big news this uh, this past week is Antonio Brown headed to Tampa Bay. We had the talk. Uh, how do you bring a guy like this in when personal accountability and responsibility and maturity and dedication to the craft in the game, which he does have, but the maturity and the responsibility part, maybe not so much the good judgment. Hello. Uh, how do you bring somebody like that into your locker in the midst of a global pandemic when all of those things are paramount to the success of not only that person, not only your team, but your entire organization? Because if you bring the COVID in there, you're going to get shut the fuck down. Yeah, and that's one thing. I think that Brady has a one-track mind right now, and that is doing whatever it takes to win the Super Bowl this year. Whatever it takes. He saw that Antonio Brown was about to sign with Seattle, the Seahawks. Who is Tampa Bay's main competitor in the NFC right now? Probably the Seattle Seahawks. So he said to Antonio, get your ass over here. He said to head coach Bruce Arians, we need to sign him right now. I just think that he, if for Brady, it's a one-track mind. He's not thinking about COVID, the the repercussions. If something like that happens, I think he's just he's got blinders on and he's just thinking Super Bowl and that's it. Worst case scenario, you just keep him out of the Seahawks' hands. True. Yeah. Yeah. Fair no, enough. No, is it smart? I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's smart. Right now, no. Chris God Chris Godwin just didn't, went had hand surgery on a finger this past week, so that was unexpected. But Guess what? Antonio Brown's going to help. Uh, but is it smart to have a guy like this who could blow up the whole room with COVID? Probably probably not, but I guess that remains to be seen. I, I, I don't know. It just seems to me like Brady is loading up with all the weapons. They've brought, they, they brought in Leonard Fournette. They brought in LaShawn McCoy. Say what, say what you will about how good of, good of a player these guys are now. At, at one point in the recent, recent past, these guys have been stars, right? Leonard yeah. Fournette. LaShawn McCoy, Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski. They are just bringing in all the guys they can to load up for this Super Bowl run. And you've got to give them credit for it because the Patriots aren't doing it. The Patriots, on the flip side, the Patriots have spent the least amount of actual real cash of all the teams in the NFL this year. They have, have spent the least amount of cash. Think about that. The Patriots. And they had a bunch of veterans sit out this year too. Yeah. And, and, one of the be- and one of the best defenses coming into the season. And, and just to kick off a little side note, Gil- Stephon Gilmore has his house on the, uh, on the block, and he's say- he set the deadline to sell his house for next Tuesday at 5 o'clock, which is exactly one hour after the trade deadline next week. Stephon Gilmore is getting traded, my friends, and he knows it. It's coming. Wow. There it All is. Right. Hot take. Hot you take. Heard, you heard it here first. All right. Let's get into our week seven uh, review here. Marty, do you have the contested picks in front of you? 
I do. Uh, we got trampled. <laughs> okay. Johnny took it to us this week. Well, that's good. We we took it to him the last couple of weeks. So. All right. Fair These enough. things have a way of evening themselves out. So we'll start with our Thursday game, the Giants at the Eagles. Damn, this was like the mistake ball. It was it was all at once terrible to watch and kind of like actually, watching a car a car crash. I it was entertaining in a way because the Eagles on their side going into late in the second half. We don't have to cover much about this game, but hitting Boston Scott, like Wentz just has this amazing ability to show this what he was signed for, what he was supposed to be due to injury or or bad seasons, whether this make whatever the case may be, this guy just has this ability sometimes to throw amazing passes and get a drive going. And it's just probably got to be so frustrating as a as a Philadelphia fan, as a Cowboy fan. I love it. I love the inconsistency, but it doesn't matter this year. And for me, knowing the Cowboys are irrelevant this year, and to watch the Giants and the Eagles play this game, uh, I, I found it somewhat entertaining, but. Uh, I, like I said, Johnny, I think I don't know where, where you sit on this game, uh, on this uh, division, but I think the Eagles still take this division. I think that you're going to win that fifty dollars from me after seeing what Dallas did laying an egg this week, and I, yeah. I, th- I think that I'm regretting making that bet last week. Yay! Okay, moving on. We had the Lions at the Falcons. Johnny, have you ever seen a team? lose a game by scoring a touchdown (laughs) i feel like we have i can't recall exactly but i feel like we have probably seen this before but yeah so matt ryan tells todd Gurley at the end of the game get the first down but go down don't go into the end zone and so todd Gurley breaks through the line gets the first down and then he tries to hold himself up but he just kind of you know Tips into the end zone, falls into the end zone, and scores, thus leaving the Detroit Lions with, you know, almost a minute to, for Matt Stafford to lead the comeback. And that's, of course, exactly what happens. The Lions go on to win 23-22. to 22. Uh, Todd Gurley gets the fantasy owners happy with a touchdown, but the Atlanta Falcons not so happy because they had a, a victory all lined up. <laughs> well, let's uh, not forget, though, Johnny, that – uh, Todd Gurley has a uh, contract incentive where if he scores, I believe it's thir- 13 uh, touchdowns, 15 touchdowns, something like that, Nice. he he gets $500,000. So, uh, so that's, uh, a big fuck, that's a big fuck you to Matt with, Ryan. With a, half mil yeah. on the, with a half mil on the line, and the Falcons really ain't going anywhere, nice. let's be honest. So like, that yeah. is number... Number touchdown number seven. So he is well on his way. Uh, let's not leave Galladay in a let. This kid's having a great year. He had a great game for the Lions. But, yeah, uh, the big fuck you to Matt Ryan in that game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, next up, the Battle of Ohio. Uh, this was actually a really get- great game to watch uh, on the side of the the – the Steelers game, which I was, of course, um, watching. Uh, Baker Mayfield, uh, turns out, is a better quarterback when Odell Beckham Jr. is not on the field. Uh, OBJ, another victim of the ACL ferry uh, that has been plaguing this league this year. The Browns pull it out 37-34. to Yeah, so Baker Mayfield with 22 straight completions at one point. 
And him and Joe Burrow were just going back and forth, throwing touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And it was fun to watch. And if this is, you know, something that we're going to be seeing for the next five years or so, I, I'm excited and I look forward to it. I think that Burrow looks fantastic. And he no no quarterback in the NFL has, is averaging more dropbacks per game than Joe Burrow, averaging 46 passes per game. And I think it's fun to watch. I just think the new style of NFL quarterback and what Joe Burrow brings to the league in Cincinnati is a good thing. And does does he get tired of Cincinnati before they start winning? I, I don't know. It remains to be seen. But it'd be nice to see the Bengals potentially be relevant again with a, having a good quarterback like Joe Burrow. And it in, in turn, it's made the receivers on that team relevant again too. Now, A.J. Green's kind of had a resurgence the last couple of weeks. Tyler Boyd and rookie T. Higgins have broken out. And on the flip side, Baker Mayfield with the, with the five touchdowns in this game, I, that's the best he's looked since his rookie year, right? I mean, I can't recall him playing better than this, right? I agree. Absolutely. And this is, this is, this is a podcast three weeks ago, two weeks ago, that said A.J. Green had just given up. He was ready to yeah. move on. Yeah. Yeah, well, he leads the team in the last two weeks with 24 targets, so he's back. And you know, Baker is one of those athletes that really strives on the big game, even if it's just something he concocts in his own head. So the battle of the Heisman winners, I'm sure, was uh, right in the forefront of his mind, and, and uh, especially needing to bounce back from the uh, embarrassing divisional loss to the Steelers the week before. This was, this was a game that he needed to show up in, and to his credit, he was able to. Now, I heard uh, something really interesting about the way the Bengals are handling Joe Burrow right now, uh, where they are really just allowing him to get those reps in. They're, they're using this as a development year for him. They're not really focused on winning the division because that's going to be damn near impossible. They're not focused on getting to the playoffs because that's going to be damn near uh, impossible. You know, they're letting him get these reps, throw the ball. They're, uh, he's not being that game manager guy. They're letting him really get a good feel for it. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he develops going forward as they then start uh, putting pieces around him, maybe bolstering that, that O-line a little bit and uh, – Saying, saying week 14 and you got three wins, do you still start him and continue getting those reps or you put him at risk of getting hurt? I think the reps are the most important thing right now. I think that the top, the teams with the top pick are going to take the quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence and uh, Fields, and then the kid from out west, the small school. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't worry about that. I just think that the reps are the important thing. And I think reps against good teams are important, too. And I think the AFC North is going to be such a difficult division for the next three to five years with the Steelers, the Ravens, the Browns are five and two, but they can't beat the Steelers or the Ravens and the Bengals. The four, those four teams, it's going to be so hard for anybody to pull it out, especially if you're at the bottom of the list, which the Bengals are. So I think it's just super important for him to keep getting better. Fair enough. Uh, next up, we have Green Bay going into Houston. Uh, Aaron Rodgers shutting down all the haters, saying that they had his offense figured out, uh, and they put a whooping on the Texans 35-20. to 20. 
I think we, I think we all knew this last week and making this pick and then and backing Johnny on this. Yeah, that's the max play. Yeah, max play right there. That what you called, and this was. Uh, I don't think the backers, the Packers, have lost back to back games in like four or five years, and you're going into an an zero and four, zero and five team like like the Vikings. I, I didn't think anybody was scared for this one whatsoever. Excuse me, the, the fucking Texans. Ah. <laughs> All right, next up we have the Carolina Panthers at the Saints losing the close one, 24-27. Yeah, so I thought that the Panthers, again, put another valiant effort out there. I think Bridgewater and this, this team under Matt Rule, I think they're doing good things. Obviously, I don't think they're in the same class as the Saints or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at this moment. But you got to like where they're headed. Uh, they got a game against the Falcons this coming Thursday night. Uh, but yeah, they lose 27 to 24. Bridgewater's looking very solid, efficient, um, which he should be because he's getting paid a lot of money to DJ, thrown to DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. Uh, Mike Davis is kind of slowed down, filling in for McCaffrey. On the flip side, you got Saints and Drew Brees again without Michael Thomas in this game and then without Emmanuel Sanders on the COVID list. So they were kind of struggling at receiver. So Kamara is just handling insane, insane amounts of, of workload. And I think that for the Saints to continue to be winning and fulfill their potential this year, the Saints defense needs to start playing better. I, I expected more out of the Saints defense than they've shown so far this year. And it start, it'll start this week when they play at Chicago coming up. And then, you know, I'm giving Drew Brees a little bit of a pass until Michael Thomas comes back and he and because he, Michael Thomas is you know the a number one receiver in the, in the NFL these days so with not having him is obviously a huge disadvantage so I don't want to get be too hard on Drew Brees for not playing great until he has his full complement of weapons back so we'll see what happens once he gets Thomas back which should be soon maybe this week and this this is all due to team discipline, correct? For you know, a coach. I don't know because so it was an injury, and then he was supposed to come back, and then it was discipline for so he was out, and then they had a bye week, and so the discipline was over. They had the bye week, and now he's got injured with a hamstring again. So I don't know if it's a new injury, it's the old injury, if it's discipline. They're not being very clear about it. He's just keeps being out and to be honest maybe, it's, maybe it's, it's Wednesday of week eight and he didn't practice today either so maybe I don't it's know. maybe it's both maybe it was corporal punishment maybe <laughs> maybe but you know if they're sitting behind the Buccaneers at the moment so if they're good I gotta assume that they want him back in the lineup as soon as they as soon as they can possibly have him we took the Panthers in that game what was the spread seven and a half that was a win for you yeah that's the one. I'm just saying. It thumbs up. All right. Up next, we have the Bills at the Jets. The Bills pulling out an ugly one, 18 to 10. Johnny, do we have a future fraud of the week candidate here in our Buffalo Bills? Potentially. I, I think that this week's this week's matchup against the Patriots could could tell a lot if the so this is the moment for the Bills, and we'll get into this when we forecast week eight in the next segment. But the Bills have been taking beatings from the Patriots for 20 years, and they came close last year. 
But now Tom Brady is gone and he's in Tampa Bay. The Patriots are two and four. They're reeling. So this upcoming week at home in Buffalo, it's now time for Buffalo to say, all right, the AFC East belongs to us. And if they don't, then you may see them as the fraud of the week next week. <laughs> I'm so excited. Do we want to gloss over uh, the football team putting the Cowboys in a blender, putting Andy Dalton's brain in a blender? Well, th- this is one of our picks. All right. So, so the, the, cow- the Cowboys lose 3-25 to 25 to the football team. Nesto, you said we never bet on Washington, but now this is where we come to low of the low as a Cowboy fan. You just don't bet on Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> so the Sorry. Dallas Co- Dallas Cowboys. The sad day in sports. Like we fell below the Washington football team. The Cowboys oh are zero and seven against the spread this year. Oh my god! Uh, the only team in the NFL to be zero and seven against the spread is the Cowboys. It's a sure loss. <laughs> Uh, let's just move on, please. You already, you started the podcast with your feelings about your Wait, football. Wait, can I true. ask a question, though? That's because I have a question. Shouldn't they uh, just fire McCarthy at this point? Or do, can Jerry Jones not admit that mistake? No, he won't admit that mistake. Because you lose Dak. Now you lose Dalton in this miraculous, like, concussion situation. Now we're on the third street quarterback. Everything's falling apart. You've lost two of your linemen. Like, nobody has to take blame because the Jones era of how he handles this team is like, it's out of the coach's hands. It was out of our hands. We didn't see this happening. So we're just going to ride it out next year. I know that Jerry Jones is going to do this. He is not going to make anybody stand and be accountable for how bad this team was coached, how bad you misused these phenomenal tools, which I believe we have, especially offensively, which is shown. But you couldn't do enough on the defensive end. We go back to the same argument last week. You failed on the defensive end. You failed so bad. So there are reports coming out of the locker room of, from players, anonymous, of course, that they're not coaching them. They're not teaching yeah, that's what them. We teams. talked about last week. Like they, they simply stated out they don't know how to do their job. You yeah. have lost your locker room when your player says you don't know how to do your own job. So shouldn't the owner, Jerry Jones, just cut bait now while the division is still salvageable? But what's that going to say? Who's he trying to win over? These dumbass fans that live down in this region. No, but isn't it about winning, though? Isn't it about winning? If you can still win and you have talent, shouldn't you try to flip the season around while you still can? They haven't been playing winning football since 1995, baby. But that's why I'm saying make a a coach change. 97, we have not competed in a divisional championship. That is fucking sad. I know, but it just... has learned a way to win its fans over, sprinkle in a few bits of hope every fucking season, get you to buy the tickets, get you to buy the apparel, make it the still the most sought off a franchise value wise, but they don't have who's holding them accountable to be a winning franchise at this point. You've gotten away for it for so many years. I mean, I'm lost on what the value of the team is. If you're not winning championships and it's been since fucking 96. Yeah. I don't know. I, maybe I'm just trying to hang on because I expected so much more out of them this year. They owe so much to the league in my mind. This is something in your mind, in your franchise, you walk around with 
arrogance for years saying you're America's team because you carried <laughs> the weight of the league on your back and made it valuable. And now you've just become a joke, a laughing stock in the league. He is not a good owner. Like this is what I tapped on last week. He's passionate. He knows how to like build a brand. He just doesn't know how to build a championship. And maybe that's it right there. Maybe that's his whole goal is just to focus on the brand and not focus on the ultimate goal, which should be the championship of the NFL league. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. There's no there's not many words to describe it. It is perplexing to say the least. All right, well, moving along, Tampa Tom, finding Gronk and finding him early. Gotta love it. Winning 45-20 to 20 in the Battle of the Pirates. So I hear being in New England, okay, around all the Patriots fans, who I was once one, I'm hearing <laughs> that, you know, two weeks ago, Tom Brady didn't know the downs. And, you know, but now everyone's saying that Tom Brady's an MVP candidate and this and that. And the last two teams that they beat are shit. Well, the Raiders just recently beat the Chiefs, right? And the Chiefs are the defending Super Bowl champions. So the Buccaneers just won at the Raiders, a team who just beat the Chiefs. The week before, they played the Packers, who were undefeated with Aaron Rodgers and were playing as good as anyone, and they steamrolled the Packers. So I don't want to hear that the Buccaneers aren't beating anybody good. They're beating who's on their schedule, and those teams are good. And we all know that Patriot fans just know how to make excuses. Seriously. And Tom Brady looked phenomenal in this game it looked like so i guess max kellerman on espn finally admitted that he was wrong about his clip talk because oh, it's no. just it's just not happening tom brady looked like he was 10 years younger in this game he was making throws that i've never even seen him make that throw on the run to godwin in the end zone you've never seen him do that before he doesn't throw on the run like that while he's like looking at one guy to the next guy to the next guy to find the open guy. And then that deep bomb throw was his longest touchdown throw in over five years to Scotty Miller. That was a dime in the back corner of the end zone that he just just dropped in the bucket to Scotty Miller. So Brady looks fantastic. And, you know, if Russell Wilson doesn't watch out, if he keeps making the mistakes like he made on Sunday night, he could lose that MVP and Brady could sneak right up behind him. I like it, especially now that I have uh, Mr. Rob Gronkowski on my fantasy football team. And he looks better each week, too. He looked yeah. like he wasn't moving well at all the first month of the season. Now he looks nimble again. God, they have just such see- an embarrassment of riches there. I don't even know where AB is going to fit in. Like, there's only one ball. I know. I know. You, I, I was when they when I heard that they were signing AB. I was like, that's not going to make Evans and Godwin happy because they're not getting the ball much as it is. But if the team is just all about winning and that's all that matters, and it really is a new day in Tampa Bay, and it's all about winning. Antonio Brown on your team then. Well, true, but personal statistics take a back seat to winning, and if that's what they're truly about, then it doesn't matter. You need to send the MLB that message. Alrighty. Well, speaking of the defending champions, the Chiefs steamrolling the Broncos 43 to 16. Uh, Drew Locke looked like a Pop Warner football player in this game. And this Broncos team was a team that owned the New England Patriots the week before in Foxborough. Just to kind of put it into perspective of how bad the Patriots are. 
Uh, this was the first snow game of the year. It snowed quite a bit in Denver and Colorado this past Sunday. Uh, they got plenty of snow. So you didn't have much offensive fireworks from the Kansas City Chiefs, but you did get two defensive touchdowns. Uh, Drew Locke is is kind of a uh, gunslinger, turnover machine. <laughs> And and they and they have a lot of injured weapons like Tim Patrick, their top receiver, went down. So now they're missing Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick. They they just and Melvin Gordon, uh, Philip Lindsay got injured again. So Melvin Gordon keeps getting the ball and he fumbled twice and he's a fumble machine. So uh, you know as hard as the Broncos do play, I, I think that they do play hard. They are just so mistake prone with locked throwing the ball all over the place, and Melvin Gordon just laying the ball on the ground. So tough to compete in those kind of situations. I wonder if uh, maybe Melvin was still a little bit drunk. No, that's Josh. <laughs> no, that's Melvin Gordon. He had a DUI two weeks ago. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> Fucked my own joke up. <laughs> Josh Gordon's the weed, right? Well, at, at least that, yeah, at least. <laughs> it's hard to keep all these NFL users straight in your mind. Well, speaking of getting used and abused, Jimmy Garoppolo made his return to Foxborough, showing Bill Belichick his nuts, winning 33-6. to six. So, did you see when Chase Winovich... Well, okay, Jimmy Garoppolo throws an interception, all right? And then Chase Winovich the, goes after Jimmy Garoppolo and knocks him down, and he's like 30 yards away from where the play's happening. And it was kind of a cheap shot. It was unnecessary. But as soon as he did that and Chase Winovich went over to the sideline, Bill Belichick chewed him out. Like, how dare you touch Jimmy? How dare you go after my, my guy like that? Because obviously we know Bill Belichick loved Jimmy Garoppolo over the years and is infatuated with him and still texts him to this day. But it's just I, all I could think about, about when, when Belichick was yelling at Chase Winovich was just being like, don't you dare touch my boy. And anyway, Winovich <laughs> didn't see the field again after that play. So Belichick truly was pissed about him hitting Jimmy Garoppolo. And to be honest, in that game, San Francisco didn't even need Jimmy Garoppolo because they were just running rampant, averaging like 10 yards a carry. It looked like the Patriots didn't want to be there at all. It looked like they weren't interested in being there. It looked like Shanahan knew that the Patriots didn't want to be there, and they just kept pounding them. They were Jeff Wilson had three touchdowns, and they were just running it, running it, running it down the Patriots' throats, inside, outside. And even when the receivers, the little receivers like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk would get the ball, they would run over the, the defensive backs for the Patriots. And then Debo Samuel laughed in McCourty's face after he ran him over. So it was just an embarrassing day for the Patriots, and that's a reason why they were my fraud of the week. Alrighty. Well, I, in my excitement here, completely forgot to talk about the last 1 o'clock game. My boys, the only undefeated team left in the NFL, the 6-0 Pittsburgh Steelers at Tennessee, okay. uh, pulling out a close one. Way too close for comfort, Johnny. This was a butthole pucker game, if I've ever sat through one. Um, a near-perfect first half, getting out to an early 24-7 to, to seven lead. A little bit melting down, or seemingly melting down, 
in the second half, Ben had some uh, interceptions, certainly the interception uh, to end the half. I mean, I get what he was doing there, throw it up there. It doesn't really matter. It's the end of the second half, and we'll see if we can get a, uh, a call or a miraculous catch or whatever. I get that. But uh, some, some questionable decision-making uh, on his part throughout the game. I mean, the, the, the pitch to Connor uh, was ill-advised. Uh, a really weird uh, shovel pass to uh, Ebron that, uh, you know, I mean, he caught it. And it wound that up was being, unbelievable. It wound up being a great play, but you know that that's not the that's not what you want to see. <laughs> um, hey, if Mahomes Hill, if Mahomes had done that, it would have been all over ESPN this week. <laughs> Reinventing the game, Johnny. You, I just think you guys got way too conservative in the second half. You were dominating in the first half. They get I away just from. Locked up a little bit. They get away from what's working for them. I think that's that is a problem uh, with these Mike Tomlin Steelers. Is we get a commanding lead and then we take our foot off the gas yeah. and, and you know we start playing that prevent defense or the prevent offense and all that does is prevent you from winning. And, and let's get credit where credit's due. Uh, Ryan Tannehill uh, had himself a game: two hundred and twenty yards on uh, eighteen completions with two touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, but again, credit to to the Steelers and, and credit to um, to Spillane filling in for the injured Devin Bush uh, and holding Derrick Henry to seventy five yards. Yeah, and so no, they and no, and minus three receiving. Keep that in mind too. They hit Derrick Henry at or behind the line of scrimmage eight on eight of his twenty runs. Right. So if if you're gonna get if you're gonna slow Derrick Henry down. That's the recipe to do it. You want to contact him early at or behind the line of scrimmage. That way he can't get a full head of steam going and start trucking guys when he's five, ten yards down the field. So the Steelers definitely had a good plan to slow him down. I just think it's the best defense in the league right now, Johnny. And it is. So, I mean, it's, it's just – It is. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely consistent. They have a game plan. They stick to it. They They – are phenomenal. I think besides what the Rams are doing on their side right now, but what what you what you're doing offensively and how you're taking care of the ball and how just amazing that defense has played so far. The Steelers are looking damn good. Johnny, see from a fantasy aspect, and I texted you guys this uh, on the day, but Deontay Johnson is kind of becoming the new James Conner. Yeah, but at least in this game he put up two touchdowns and like a hundred yards. So, as you know, if as long as you can put up the stats before you leave, go ahead, leave, leave injured. <laughs> but you put up those stats first. Don't just give nothing and then leave. I hate that. There's nothing worse than taking zeros. It was nice to see Juju get a little uh, involved in this game too. He had nine catches for 85 yards. A few critical first downs. But we're forgetting the biggest play, I think, was Gostowski missing a 45-yard field goal to tie it at the end of regulation. That would have sent the game to overtime. Yeah. I I mean, you could see that Ben Roethlisberger was stunned when that didn't go through. Oh, my God. I I need to get uh, the gif of that because (laughs) the look on his face is just so – He missed it? He missed it? (laughs) The wonder, the delight, the the disbelief. It was like – like Watching knew, a child. He knew it was going overtime, right? and it was just like, wait, what? <laughs> it's over? We win? 
And all you know, the the defense gave a, gave up a lot in that second half, but they did get some very critical stops. Uh, the Titans when, are good. When the Titans mattered. are a good team, and they're allowed to be a good team too, as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I, almost guaranteed to to see them uh, in the playoffs. So looking forward to that. Just a side note: I was looking at the Steelers' schedule the other day going forward, and it is Cupcake City aside from the two Ravens games. The next couple of weeks, so I, there's a really good chance that the Steelers go 14 and two, 15 and one, potentially if they win this week. Don't say it, Johnny. They, they could go 16 and 0. But I was saying to you that you don't, you might not, you don't yeah, want that. You don't want, to do you don't it. want that. You don't want that. I'm telling you, as a as a person that, that went through that with the 2007 Patriots, it becomes a burden, and it becomes a stress on the team, an added stress that just isn't needed. And then the team also loses its edge. And you're just kind of hanging on for dear life by the end. You know, you have to deal with that Miami Dolphins 72 undefeated team, and they become a pain in the ass. Now, you don't want that headache, I'm telling you. You want to lose one game. You're dealing with, a, you're, you're dealing with another factor as well, which is a COVID uh, pandemic year in sports too. So don't, you don't want to wish anything bad upon something that as well to, you know, you lose three or four players and you lose a game. Yeah. What could be a great season as well. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that I appreciate most about this year's Steelers team is Tomlin teams in the past have characteristically played down to their opponents and they would either just lose or just win games to inferior opponents that they were supposed to win handily. And this year that's not happening. We are we're kicking the shit out of the Browns. We're and they're actually a good team this year. But mm-hmm. games that we're supposed to win, we're winning, and we're winning convincingly. You know, that's just that's just great to see and encouraging going forward. When you say we have a cupcake schedule, well, you know that might have worried me in the past, but it, it seems like we have what we need to to go forward and, and be successful. Okay, moving along. We have the Jaguars at the Chargers. The Jaguars lose 29 to 39. Uh, it seems that they have gotten the memo uh, that they're supposed to be doing poorly so they can uh, get in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. The Jaguars, that is. Because on the flip side, it seems that the Chargers have found their quarterback in the now updated new favorite for NFL Rookie of the Year. The odds on favorite is now. Justin Herbert of the oh, quarterback of the Chargers. Getting his first win. Good for him. Well, he looks fantastic, especially in this game, throwing for three touchdowns, running for another one. And, yeah, he does – do they know how to win games and hold leads in this at this point? No. They're a little back and forth, up and down. The running game's not good. But he's definitely revived the passing game in San Diego – or um, Los Angeles, sorry, for the Chargers. Um, <laughs> oh, wow, that's a that's an old fuck up. <laughs> yeah, it is. Blast from the past. <laughs> it's I'm, in pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he's t- in top five of passing right now in the league. Pretty soon uh, yeah. he'll be talking about the Houston Oilers. He's been like QB number four, QB number eight, and QB number one in his three starts. So he's been a top eight quarterback in the league in each of his three starts, his first three NFL starts, which is unreal. That's amazing. All right, uh, getting on to what – for me, was the game of the week. Uh, I was able to watch this whole game, and it was just a delight. It had a little bit of everything. It had excellent football. It had terrible football. It had goofs and gaffs and uh, oohs and ahs. The Seahawks 
surrendering their undefeated record to the Cardinals. Kyler Murray maybe coming back into the for real picture again, uh, winning 37 to 34. This was a loss for us, Nesto, right here. Arizona always plays, I told you guys, Arizona always plays the Seahawks well. And no matter what it is, Arizona has the Seahawks numbers for some reason. And Russell Wilson seems to have his worst games against Arizona. And, and Russell Wilson had three interceptions in this game. Uh, they had the lead, and they just – Arizona kept fighting back in this, in this game. You know, they were down by multiple – double-digit points multiple times in this game, and they continued to fight back, and they never had the lead at any point in this game until they finally won it in overtime, 37-34. And, you know, Gonzalez, their kicker, had already missed a field goal to win it earlier in overtime. So – they needed a second chance. But, yeah, Russ, Russ Wilson, three interceptions in this game. The starting running back, Chris Carson, goes down with an injury in this game. So they might be leaning on Carlos Hyde or DJ Dallas. or I'm not even sure in the running game. But Lockett had three touchdowns. Metcalf was held in check by old man Patterson this week. Uh, but Kyler Murray, I think, was the story of this game. Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, Chase Edmonds, because Kenyon Drake is out hurt. And uh, Christian Kirk. So the Cardinals are back on the looking good picture. We, you know, we started the year on the Cardinals bandwagon. Then we kind of got off of them when they lost two games to bad teams, inferior opponents. But now they've got a three-game winning streak again. So now we're, we're definitely back on the Cardinals bandwagon. Murray showing consistently in this game, too, against probably a subpar defense. But, like, he can get downfield. He can throw the ball downfield. and, he, and he's The Seahawks defense? Himself. Yeah. It's not subpar. It's one of the worst of all time. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I, I, I was trying to be kind to them, but yeah, they're, they're bad. Yes. I, Their defense think, is an offense that can put up plus 30 points. Right. <laughs> I'm just bad. saying, like, this is the first game I've seen. Like, he did, you know, flashes here and there against the Cowboys, which was a joke as well for us as far as the defense, because it's right there with the Seahawks. But he can get vertical, and he's deadly now. you got to respect his, his vertical game. Well, they didn't early in the season. We, we discussed that a few episodes ago. Like, why weren't they threatening down, vertical down the field? Why were they so horizontal? But you're right. Now, now, and maybe it's because they got Christian Kirk back healthy, and that's that's what they're doing. They're, they're going down the field with Christian Kirk, and maybe that's all they needed to incorporate back into their offense to get it going vertical. But you're right. As something's changed. They're no longer sticking horizontal. They're they're firing down the field. And right. I mean, obviously, yeah. that's a that's a, the key when you go against Seattle's defense. I mean, Cam Newton and the Patriots put up huge numbers against the Seattle defense. And in retrospect, that is an outlier. All right, and then the final game of the week, we had the Chicago Bears. At the L.A. Rams, uh, the Rams was something to prove. And, you know, it's the same old story with Nick Foles where he's great in relief, but when he's asked to be the guy, he, it's a completely different player. Uh, he doesn't have the confidence. He doesn't have the execution. Uh, it seems like he gets the yips and he makes bad decisions. And uh, the Bears just could not get anything going. Yep. Uh, so the Rams defense is, you know, kind of a sack machine. Leonard Floyd, the former Chicago Bear, had two sacks against his former team. And it was a very defensive game in this one. Not much offense to speak of. 
And I think that's something that might, you might want to watch out for for the Rams going forward is their lack of offense. Uh, Goff is in the offense has really been struggling, but the defense is good enough to carry the day to some point, but they're going to need to get that offense going if they're going to want to win the NFC, NFC West with teams like Seattle and Arizona and San Francisco to contend with. But the Bears, we said that they were potential fraud, a fraud team last week at five and one. Uh, now they're five and two, and I think either them or the Bills are a team that that could be looking for toward a second half slide, potentially. Another unsung hero for that Rams game was that punter who put five within the twenty yard line. Oh, Johnny Hecker. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. a stud. Hell of a- he got special teams player of the week uh, by the NFL. Like he had a hell of a hell of a game with that defense. It, it, it made it hard for uh, you know Foles and the offense to get rolling that far deep every time. Interesting special teams play too. He was doing a yeah al- been- al- alternative uh, kind of kick too. I think it's called yeah, a, a watermelon. Banana- so I was listening to Pat McAfee, and actually, it's the uh, the announcers messed that one up. It's actually called a banana kick. They just got the wrong fruit. And uh, he was saying that that is an incredibly risky kick because, you know, a couple inches this way or that way, if you don't hit that thing right in the sweet spot, not only is it not going as far as you want it to, it's probably traveling directly out of bounds, like fucking perpendicular. You know, if you if you hit that thing wrong, you can really look super stupid. So um, big sack play for Hecker, uh, pulling, pulling that out, Aussie rules football guy. So fair enough, (laughs) Johnny, we are ready for week eight, baby halfway through the season. Almost. Uh, so we have the trade deadline next Tuesday at four o'clock. Like I mentioned before, I think next week we should kind of go through and look at, you know, the playoff teams and how the playoffs and the, on the flip side, how the top end of the draft looks going for the rest of the second half of the year. Okay. But for this week, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and fire up week eight. Starting on Thursday night, October 29th, we have the 1-6 Atlanta Falcons at the 3-4 and four Carolina Panthers. In this game, the Panthers are two-and-a-half point favorite. I'll be going with the Carolina Panthers minus two-and-a-half in this game. Okay. Yeah, John. All right, so heading into Sunday, we have the Tennessee Titans 5 and 1 going to Cincinnati. The Bengals are 1-5 and 1, and in this game Tennessee is a minus 6 point favorite. I think that we'll probably see, you know, with the Bengals throwing the ball a lot and the Tennessee defense being suspect, I think we'll probably see more points than you would anticipate in, usually in the situation. So the over under, wow, it's 54 and a half. So it's already pretty high, but I I would lean the over still in this game because when you have a team that passes a lot, like the Bengals, that means that there's a lot of incomplete passes and the clock is not moving. So you have more plays in totality for the game. So I would take the over 54 and a half in this game. But as far as the spread goes, I am going to go with the Bengals in this game. I am going to go with Joe Burrow, keeping it close, probably not going to win. So I'm going to go Cincinnati at home, plus six. I think we're going to take that one there. Okay. 
next on the docket, we have the Las Vegas Raiders, 3-3 three and three at the Cleveland Browns without OBJ, 5-2. and two. In this game, the Browns are minus three-point favorites. And, yes, I am going to go with Cleveland and the Baker Mayfields laying minus three in this game. Oh. And next on the docket, we have Indianapolis Colts, 4-2. and two. Heading to Detroit to play the Lions, who are suddenly three and three. Surging, surging the surging Lions. Remember, there were preseason picks for the Lions to win the division, and we were like, "Who are these people making this pick?" <laughs> but maybe they're right, and we're wrong. <laughs> anyway, the line on this game is Colts minus two and a half, and I'm going to go with the Lions at home. Plus, uh, I'm going to go with the home dog, Lions plus two and a half here. All right, next up we have the 1-5 Minnesota Vikings traveling to Green Bay to face the 5-1 Packers. In this game, the Packers are minus seven-point favorites. Not sure if the Vikings are going to have Dalvin Cook back in this game. Um, this is another one of those games that is usually close between these teams, but... The Vikings just, are terrible this year. Is I, this right, line exactly. low? Yeah, the Vikings are not playing inspired football at all. Does this feel like a low line to you, yes. Johnny? Well, specifically since Zimmer messed it all up in Seattle <clears throat> the, uh, a couple weeks ago, the team seems to be playing even less inspired. So I'm going to go with Green Bay minus seven here. All right, next up, we have the game of the year. 0-7 <laughs> New York Jets at the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs 6-1. You guys want to guess the line on this? 27. It's not. Actually, it's only Kansas City minus 19 and a half. <laughs> I'd say, is that the biggest line in NFL history? And I would say, no. The biggest line in NFL history is actually from 2013. It was the Jaguars at the Denver Broncos, Peyton Manning Broncos, and the Broncos were 27-point favorites. So it's not even close to being the biggest line in NFL history. Wow. In any, in any case, I am still going to take the Chiefs here. Kansas City, minus 19 and a half over the Jets. <laughs> I kind of want to take it, but it's the Jets, so fuck no. It's three touchdowns. <laughs> oh, three touchdowns there, Marty. Hell no, man. No way. Not doing it. All right. Next up, we have the L.A. Rams, 5-2, and two, traveling down to the Dolphins, 3-3. Three and three, And it is two at time. Will it be to a time for the Dolphins, who are minus three-and-a-half-point underdogs at home in this game, to a Rams team with a good defense, with a struggling offense? Um, I, I'm going to go with the Dolphins plus three-and-a-half three here. I'm going to go with I think that this gives the Dolphins a little bit of an inspired boost. And it's a one o'clock game for a West Coast team traveling east. And granted, that hasn't been a huge deal in the most recent years, but I think it'll have a, an impact in this case with the Rams having just played on Monday Night Football, now having to play the early 1 o'clock East, East Coast window. I think that might have a little effect in this game or a little hangover, at least to start. So I'm going to go with Tua, giving the Dolphins a little jolt. So I got Miami plus 3.5 here. Uh, we're going to take that. Thank you. Yes. All right, next on the docket, play the game of the week. Pittsburgh Steelers, 6-0, traveled to Baltimore. The Ravens, 5-1, coming off a bye week. 
in this game, the Ravens are four-point favorites. Uh, the history of this game is usually a very close game, three-point game. You know, I've been all about the Steelers this year, and I think most people will see this line and automatically say, oh, the Steelers plus four is a lock. But there's something off here. I, I don't like that it's Baltimore minus four. I would prefer it being Baltimore minus three to take the Steelers. The fact that it's minus four scares me, so I think – I think I'm going to go with the Ravens here. I'm going to go with Baltimore minus four. I don't think it's the smart pick. Well, let me the, make the smart pick then. I think, I think the smart pick, because the team with the better defense, the team that can stop the running game, Ingram's hurt. So the Ravens, they, they, you know, they're going to want to run. The Steelers can stop that. Uh, I just think Lamar Jackson is set up to struggle in this case. And I think anybody, anybody knows that, right? So why is Baltimore a four-point favorite in this game? I, I, I just that makes no sense to me. So I'm gonna go Baltimore minus four. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and take that. I like our chances to to shut down the run and and force Lamar to throw. And we've seen when Lamar's forced to throw and they yeah. they can't they can't set up their run. That's where they run into a little bit of trouble. And I look for the offense to continue. Uh, they found something in the first half of that Tennessee game. I'm hoping they can figure out what that was and continue to do that. This is a huge game. Um, something fishy only- about this line. There's something fishy here, man. They're like, they're, There's no way that the Steelers are one of like America's teams, right? The Steelers, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Patriots, these are teams that the public in America likes to bet on. Everyone just saw the Steelers, who are 6-0, play really well against the Titans. The Steelers are doing everything well. They're playing good on the lines. They're playing their number one defense in the league. Offensively, they're co- they're cooking. The Ravens have issues so far this year. We know that. It makes no sense that the Ravens are a four point favorite in this game, and that's why I'm just I'm calling bullshit here. Something's something's off. Yeah, yeah. Des Bryant will get activated from the practice yes. squad and take over the game. That's not it. <laughs> that's not <laughs> it. I know that's not it. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't, I don't really know. It doesn't make sense to me because I would love to see like a one point line here and then I'd hammer the Steelers, but we'll see. All right, next up we got the Chargers two and four at the Denver Broncos two and four. Chargers are minus three point favorites. I like the Chargers a lot, but they're still learning to win, so that's the only thing preventing me from going with the max play because they. They're playing well, but again, they're they're struggling with the game management, like how to put these teams away, how to win the game. You know, they had the big lead at New Orleans a couple weeks ago, and they couldn't finish that one off. So, you know, this would be a max play under you know a lot of other circumstances, but I can't just yet because they're a little too immature for me at this point. So, but I will stick with LA Chargers minus three. All right, next on the docket, we have the Saints, 4-2, and two, travel to Chicago. The Bears are 5-2, and two, coming off a loss. New Orleans is minus four-point favorites in this game. Drew Brees, outside, potentially windy, tough Bears defense. I like the Bears quite a bit in this game. Chicago, plus four. Wow, that's kind of like on the verge of your fraud, uh, Team. Yes, but I've 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 been in I've done this scenario before. I've done the the Drew Brees against a, a good defense outside in a windy like scene. I, I I've gone through this scenario before, and it never plays out well for Drew Brees and the Saints. It always plays out well for the other team. So 
having learned my lesson, I, I know that this is this is a situation where you don't want to back Breeze and the Saints. You, you, you want to go with the other team here. So I'm going to go. I, I like the Bears here, plus four. I like them quite a bit, actually. So the sake of conversation next week, I'll take the Saints right here. Okay. Yeah, do that. All right. And next up, we have a divisional game between the San Francisco 49ers, who are four and three in the middle of a murderer's row, schedule-wise. Travel to Seattle against the Seahawks, where the, the Seahawks are five and one coming off their first loss. Last year, these two games were phenomenal. They had two of the best games of the NFL season in 2019. Hopefully that trend continues in 2020. In this game, the Seahawks are minus two-and-a-half-point favorites. And I'm going to go with Seattle here. I'm going to go with Seattle minus two-and-a-half. And I like that one actually quite a bit. I agree. I don't see the Seahawks losing, losing this after losing last week. No, I think they're going to bounce back in this game. Especially if they trade for Stephon Gilmore. And especially at home. Yeah. All right. So let's make this a max play of the week. Max, 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 max. Play, 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 play. Yeah, let's do that. We have the New England Patriots 2-4 and four, at the Buffalo Bills 5-2. and two. This is the Bills' opportunity to take 20 years of beatings from the Patriots and to shove it back down the Patriots' faces and bury them once and for all and end their season, end their AFC East dominance, end their playoff runs. This is the Bills' time to bury them, bury Belichick, and to say, now is our time. And in this game, the Buffalo Bills are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. But I don't, like, I don't like the way that the Bills have been playing lately. And in past, this has always been a, you know, a situation where the Patriots will bounce back. And although I think the Patriots are frauds this year, and they're not a good team, and they're not going to make the playoffs, and they're not going to get more than seven or eight wins this year, I, I do think, man, this is a tricky one because I'm being put into a corner here. You know what? I'm going Bills minus three and a half. Fuck it. Whoa, seriously? Yeah, I got I to gotta make a stand, right? I can't be wishy-washy all over the place. Yeah, what, does that say, what, what does that say about me, you know? I just think that they have Josh Allen's number on the defensive side. I think they can control the ball enough with the rushing game with Cam. Cam and, Newton knows that knows that team, too, because yeah. he, he was the coach in Carolina. Um, what, Jesus, what is his name, the head coach? Mc, Mc, McLaughlin or? Yeah, I don't know. He, he, anyway, he was a coach with Cam in, for years. So Cam Newton knows his, that knows his style of play. So if there's a bounce – and here's the other thing about Buffalo is they can't stop the run at all. They get gashed on the ground. They get destroyed on the ground, right? What's the only, only thing the Patriots can do is run the ball. They cannot pass the ball at all. The Patriots suck passing the ball, right? So if the Patriots can run the ball, which they should be able to, then they should find success in this game and be able to play it on their terms. And the only thing the Patriots are good at is their secondary. So the Bills and Josh Allen, if he's going to struggle with accuracy, he could have a tough time and throw a couple of interceptions against this tough Patriots secondary. You're talking about a bad weather weekend, too. Oh, yeah? Passing is going to be a, a, a thing of the past. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to be wished. I'm going to flip-flop here. I'm going to go back to the Patriots. I talked Johnny out of it, yeah. Are you taking the Bills, Marty? 
Yes. <laughs> he just wanted that pick. Ah, you did it. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, if the Patriots are going to win this game, they got to be able to run the ball. If they can't run the ball against the Bills, then they may I, be worse. They may be worse than we thought. I honestly see. I see the Patriots winning this game. I just wanted to make something for next week's show as well. This okay. All right. Next on the docket, we have the. Sunday night football, the Dallas Cowboys, two and five, travel to Philadelphia against the Eagles, who are two, four, and one. This game is for all the marbles in the division, I guess, huh? Fly, Eagles, fly. Eagles are minus seven-point favorites. Uh, no. You know what? You, I'm going down uh, with the ship. I'm going down yeah. with the ship, man. Yeah. A Cowboys plus seven. Do it. What? The Eagles have to lose this game. It would just be okay. so on brand for them to to it's to go best. in feeling like, you know, they can just phone it in for this one because Dallas isn't going to arrive because they don't have a quarterback. Uh, and I bet you they just – Carson Wentz gets blown up or something early and, uh, and they just oh. – You know what? Neither team is good, right? I mean, is, any, is either of these teams going to blow out the other? Probably not. Yes. The Eagles are yes. going to blow them out. This, they're going to blow them Well, I get, I get Washington last week because Washington had, has an insane defensive line and the Cowboys have offensive line issues. So I get that they controlled the game from that aspect. But in this game, I don't know. I think that – the Eagles have a lot of issues of their own. I who, I just who's, think who's running this offense? I mean, who's gonna who's gonna quarterback for this team coming into this week? Who is gonna score the points for this team? You gotta check it, out Zeke. Carson Wentz isn't anything great for the Eagles. He's I mean, be great this game maybe it'll be like sixteen to thirteen. I am switching my pick. What's the, the over Eagles, under here? Forty three and a half. The Patriots. And I'm taking the Eagles in this game. Oh, and boy. And win by 14. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't surprise me. The Cowboys do seem dead in the water. But I, I am, I'm pot committed to the Cowboys here. So I love it. I'm, I'm just pot committed stick with right them. now as I speak and as yep. I smoke. But I'm still taking the Eagles. <laughs> All right. Cowboys Get plus seven bus, for me. Marty. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Monday Night Football, we have Tampa Bay 5-2. The Buccaneers travel to New York to face the 1-6 New York football giants. In this game, the Buccaneers are a 10.5-point favorite. And I just think I like the way the Buccaneers are playing. I think they're taking care of business these days. Uh, I don't think they're going to mess around with a team like the Giants, even though the Giants have given the notoriously given Brady fits over the years, obviously. Um, but I think the Buccaneers are. It's not your dad's of, Giants. <laughs> there's that. And I think that the Buccaneers have kind of straightened things out. They've only committed four penalties over the last two weeks. They're not turning the ball over. Uh, I think the Buccaneers minus 10 and a half here. Right. And that it. That's it. That wraps up week number eight. Good the betting stuff, side. Good stuff, guys. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, before we finish up today, I just wanted to send a shout out and a congratulations to Riverboat Ron Rivera for beating his cancer. Uh, what was it? Squamous cell carcinoma. Um, so congratulations to him. Apparently he, 
you know, did his whole workload throughout the treatment was getting uh, treatment while still working full time, um, which is just a, a testament to his uh, heart and dedication. And, you know, uh, there isn't a single person in this world who hasn't been uh, touched by this disease in, in some way uh, or another. I myself as a survivor. And uh, so I uh, want to send my congratulations to, to him and his family for, for beating that, that battle. Absolutely. Excellent. All right. Well, that does it for this episode of the Green Mountain Sports Roundup. Uh, make sh- Thank you for listening, first of all, and make sure to uh, like us on all the things and share and tell your friends and uh, comment, interact with our Facebook. Uh, hit Johnny up on uh, Twitter at Green Mountain Grinder, Green MT Grinder. And all right, boys, we'll see you next week. Well, I just want to say one last thing to Johnny tonight. I couldn't take him seriously in that peasant chair. Whatever that chair he's in tonight, it's awful. <laughs> yeah, you, we need to get, get you back in your gaming uh, gaming. Yeah, that's, that's the wife's chair. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Have a good week. Bye, guys. Right, bye.